The following announcement has been paid for by Wild Games Productions. This is the Roll for Initiative podcast. This is mini issue number two. DM Vince, I'm sitting along with special guest Brian Fazekas, the editor of uh, editor in chief, I believe it is, of N Magazine. Am I correct, Brian? Yes, sir. That's it. Hey, folks. And you can find N Magazine in case you're curious uh, by going to uh, is it N Mag N-Mag.com, I believe. That's correct. And uh, in case you're not sure what N Magazine is, it is a uh, old school uh, magazine, mostly focusing on first edition, but it does have uh, some BX and uh, second edition creeping in here and there. I've noticed that. Yeah, pretty much anything we've got should be easily translatable to any of the TSR era games. If you're running any of the OD&Ds or uh, second edition, it should fit just fine. Excellent. So let's get right on to the topic this week, since everybody seemed to like the last mini-issue show we did. Uh, we're going to talk this week about a little bit about creating magical items and uh, the process that goes through for creating those. And what better person to have on here than uh, someone who sees tons of stuff thrown his way to, and he has to filter it out and put it into his magazine, but Brian. So, bringing you aboard. Okay, glad to be here. Just to, I got a little trivia for you. I was doing some figuring over the last few days. Mm-hmm. And in 10 issues, take a wild guess how many miscellaneous magic items of any sort we've published in 10 issues of Anne Magazine. One million. A little bit less than that. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say anywhere from 500 around that area. Uh, not quite. We've done 289. Wow. And of those, 151 of them... Our filler material. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, since the beginning, we stick uh, magic items in the uh, at the end of articles as filler material because we start every article on a new page. Right. And we did 151 items. I was actually kind of surprised at how much we put out there. And uh, interesting, another interesting factoid is Ian Slater on our staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he writes the tactical magic column. Yeah. He's done a hundred of them, 101 actually. Really. And I have, seriously, and I have, I don't know, three, four, five more files of magic items that I haven't touched. Wow. So you'll be... The man produces an amazing amount of stuff. Yeah. Between him and Andrew producing all the spells and all the crazy things he does, you guys have a ton of material to Mm -hmm. go on. Yeah, that and and Dan produces a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, both spells and magic. So we... uh, even without external contributions, we've got a lot of stuff coming in. So let's just a matter of picking out the best stuff and putting it out there. Absolutely. Speaking about the best stuff and putting it out there, let's uh, go through the process of creating a magical item. Not just based, not really creating one, but what steps should you take as a DM when creating something for your campaign? And I think you brought up a great point before we started, was the first question you should ask would be, would you regret this item after you make it? Absolutely. I can think of a few items I've put in my campaign that I say, oh, geez, why did I do that? And sometimes it's home-built, and sometimes it's things out of the book. Sometimes you write So something. I look at... Well, go ahead. I was going to say, sometimes you write things down on a piece of paper, it looks awesome, you're ready to give it out, and then you look at it and go, oh, my God, this is going to destroy the entire thing. Actually, it was more a case of I actually put it in, and I hadn't really thought about how players were going to use it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, geez. What was the idea? But I follow the uh, the rules on uh, destruction of magic items. You fail a save versus fireball, all your items save. So the DM giveth, the fireball taketh away. 
Sure. What was the item that you had given away? Oh, God, this is a long time ago. It might have been a Sword of Sharpness. Sword of Sharpness. I put one in, and I'll never do it again. <laughs> oh, they, they, they're just too destructive. Yeah. Uh, a little bit too destructive for what's going on sometimes in a campaign. Mm -hmm. So let's take a look. So we're going to design something here. Let's, For example, let's take a look at your uh, issue number 10 of N Magazine that just came out recently. And uh, we could flip over to uh, the page 53 in the PDF, uh, the toy box number one where it says Maces and More by Stuart Marshall. Yeah, let me pull that up. Sure. And, I uh, actually have a printed copy. I printed on a color printer. Mm -hmm. It looks cool. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I would love to have a binded copy of these magazines. It'd be awesome. We're looking at that. Just a matter of figuring out how to make that happen. Yeah, cost-effective. Yeah, versus yada yada. I understand. Mm -hmm. So let's, for example, let's look at the Mace of Order, which is the first one that's that uh, Stewart had uh, designed up. And he puts in there in the hands of a chaotic character. This heavy mace functions as a, as a cursed negative one weapon for a character who is neutral. On the Law Chaos Actual, it counts as a plus one. All right. For a lawful character, it's a plus three weapon, and it affects double roll damage. Example, uh, 1d6 times 2 plus 4 versus small or medium-sized creatures, or 1d6 times 2 plus 3 versus large ones. Now, I wonder why he decided that it was going to be more damage that way for lawful as opposed to neutral. I mean, because it, it's order, he's deciding that law and order go together. What do you think his thought process was for this? I'm going to assume, and again, I haven't discussed this one specifically with Stuart, mm -hmm. but I'm going to guess that, that uh, he's got lawful characters in his campaign, so he produced something that would be of great benefit to a lawful character. Given that it's a mace, it's probably going to be a cleric. Yeah. On the other hand, he may have some chaotics in his campaign, and it's always cool to put in some interesting items. You know, on the negative side, something that they got to work to get away from. And a curse minus one weapon, for the most part, isn't in the grand scheme of things, isn't too bad. You got to do a little work to get rid of it, but it doesn't. Uh, it's not a game breaker. No, it's not or too bad of a game, a game breaker, but. I was always curious, uh, we were discussing this before, about the gold point value, a uh, gold piece value and the XP value. I don't think I've ever seen a chart or any reference that tells you how to uh, how it's designed, how it should be. Mostly I've just gone off of, I've looked at the DM guide, like, okay, this thing does this, this does this, so it's this much price, this much XP, so let's kind of put it here and there. That's what I've always done. What have you done? That Same thing. Uh, I don't think there's a, a good rationale. I just start looking through the tables, look for things that are comparable, and I also look for things that just don't make sense because one of the drawbacks to AD&D is a lot of people put uh, their input into it, and sometimes contradictions didn't get cleaned up. I mean, outside of the obvious ones, uh, things like monster experience points, um, or uh, magic experience in, in gold piece ice. Some things just don't add up. So I just uh, uh, take a look and just come up with what looks like a happy medium. Right. Now, I'm looking at another item here uh, called the Mage Blade. Now, looking at this real quick, I'm like, whoa, this is kind of like a breaker for, you know, breaking of the rules here. 
This plus one magical longsword is, us is usable by magic users. Dagger proficiency is sufficient to remove this non-weapon proficiency penalty for the, the mage blade. Don't you think that's a little bit uh, game-breaking there for uh, everybody else? Actually, no. Nah. Uh, now, the reason I don't see it as a, as a game-breaker is generally mages, uh, wizards, magic users, whatever we're going to call them, um, they got, among the worst armor class, they have the worst hit table, and they got the lowest hit points. If a magic user wants to go into combat on a regular basis, I call that a self-correcting problem. <laughs> <laughs> so from, from that point of view, especially since it's plus one, yeah, plus one, um, it's a backup for a magic user, mm -hmm. but when it comes down to it, if a magic user is in a position where he's having to defend himself like that, he's probably in a world of hurt anyways. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. Now, if it was a plus five weapon, oh, okay, I'd, uh, I'd go in a different direction. But as a plus one, nah. So, uh, out of your, uh, if you looking over the magazine, which ones do you do you look at and out of here and think that you're like your favorite ones? Not just saying just one, but there's got to be a couple that like really catch your eye, and you're like, oh, that's really cool. Or you don't. Have to I'll be them. honest with you. After going through so many of these things. My my mind glazes over, but but there's some some interesting ones. If you go to page forty four, Andrew has got a cloak of mist, and it's uh it's not one of those things that's super powerful, but it's it's one of those things that a smart player is going to come up with something interesting to do. And one of the things that I'll do is give put I'll put things in more to see what the player's going to do with it. Hmm. Yeah. And people can take some of these some of these things and they can just come up with some really cool ideas. And any one person's only so inventive, so I like to see how my players do. So the Actually, I like to see my players outthink me. <laughs> That's the whole goal of the game, right? Yep. Uh so this made of thin cloth, light gray to almost white in color. The cloak of mist is a rare magical item. Its magic is centered around the ability of the wearer to make <clears throat> excuse me, mist bellow out of the cloak. The mists do not cause any harm, but they can be used to cause an obscurement effect hmm, three times a day. With the same effects as the second level druid spell of the same name, or at this ninth level effect. Hmm. The greater ability is three times a day for the wearer to actually meld with the mist, taking a form similar to a gaseous form. That's actually really cool. I would like love to see a, a thief would be perfect for that one. Mm -hmm. Sneaking around with that. Another one that I enjoyed, also from Andrew on page 41, the Tangle Arrow. Okay. Just tell me a little bit about that one. I'm scrolling there. Okay, this one, it's a plus two arrow. And when it hits, it explodes into a mass of writhing tendrils. Basically, it's the equivalent of a, uh, a web spell. Mm -hmm. A single person. And just it's one of those things where you can use it to take a single creature out of combat. Yeah. Again, not massively powerful. And, you know, there's, it's like with a web spell. If you're willing to take the fire damage, you can burn it off. Easy enough to get away from it. But uh, just, I, I can see that one being a lot of fun. Oh, that would definitely, I could definitely see that one being uh, a lot of fun in combat, yeah. Um, I was just, I was just thinking here, what, 
steps when you go to create magical items for your campaigns you've been DMing for quite a while do you create your magical items with your players in mind or do you just create them and sprinkle them throughout the campaign what would be your ideal both. way both it's an all depends I take a look at the magic the party has on a semi-regular basis I run a high magic campaign mm-hmm. and I look at what they got and I look at what I think they need for their level. And I also consider what the players, you know, I look at personality and, and the personality of the, the characters. And I just, okay, this would be cool for this person. And I, I put things in. Other times, I just leaf through the book. I'll see something. Oh, that looks cool. I'll put it in. Now, when I put something in for a person, I have absolutely no say in who it actually goes to. Mm-hmm. I'll put it in with someone in mind. Okay. But uh, how the party divides things up, uh, from my point of view, that's the party's choice. And so I just shut up. And sometimes that's even an even more interesting uh, allocation. Someone who I wouldn't expect to get an item will get it. And sometimes that works out really cool. And sometimes it's kind of a waste of an item. But, mm-hmm. you know, again, uh, it's on the player's venue. Right. And I'm inventing items. Mm-hmm. That that that's an all depends. Uh, I tend to do a lot of custom magic items. Recently, I've been doing clerical made items that vary according their powers vary according to the level of the wielder. Right. And that tends to be more focused on class and more towards individual characters. But again, I've got no say in how it actually goes. Um. So I've been doing a lot of more custom items. I put less items in, but they're more interesting. Mm-hmm. And other, like I said, other stuff. I just, uh, uh, I just dream things up. Uh, recently, I've been using uh, 1960s B movies or Sci-Fi Channel B movies, and I come up with some interesting ideas. I'll see something, and it'll pop up. Actually, one that I came up with recently. Uh, you're at fault for it. Oh, me. Yeah, I was listening to one of the old RFI podcasts, and y'all were talking about trying to use some type of scrying device to read from a spell book. Oh, yeah, okay. You recall that. And uh, pretty much nothing by the book is going to work, because you have to have something that can turn pages and so on and so on and so forth. So I invented a magic item, a specialized spell book in a, with a a gem associated with it, mm-hmm. and the magic user can look through the gem to view any page in, their, in this particular spell book from any place on the plane. Uh, to double check, I'm pretty sure that one was published in the last issue of Footprints, Dragonfoot's uh, magazine. Right, dragonfoot.org, uh, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of so I was listening to the show, and it's like, you know... I can come up with something that makes that happen, so uh, you're at fault. <laughs> well, you know, we, that's the purpose of our, our all of our podcasts to begin with, is to inspire everybody to do something on their own. I mean, whether you listen to it for the edition that's named, or you just listen to it for your 5th edition games, or your 4th mm-hmm. edition games, whatever you take away from it and are able to use, that's then we've done our job. That's what I say now these mm-hmm. days. It used to be like, oh no, it's all about 1st edition. Now it's just like, you know what? Dude, if you listen to our show and you took away two things from our show to use in your campaign, then we did a successful podcast. That's how. That's I a good at, attitude. Yeah, that's how I look at things now. So uh, that's just the best way to look at things. Let's uh, switch it over just a little bit to the player point of view now. 
Uh, I don't know how often you get to play, Brian. I don't know if you're always running games. Uh. I used to play a little bit. Uh, my older son was DMing for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I probably haven't played in several years. Although when I'm designing items and putting them in, I try to think from the player's point of view, what are they going to do with it? Right. So you're a player in a campaign, and you're seeing some various magical items being given out. And you obviously... Maybe you have a DM that obviously you can tell, like, hey, that sword was meant for John, or this club was meant for Tom, or whatever. Do you kind of get a sense if you don't see anything coming your way, do you get a little annoyed, or jealous, or do you just keep rolling with it? I've never run into that situation. Uh, Any DM I've ever played under, with one exception early on... (laughs) always came up with interesting stuff and they thought um, they thought about it for the entire party mm-hmm. which is you know that's what I do is I I look at again I run a high magic campaign so I put something in not every adventure but on a frequent basis that every single player is going to like so I haven't run into the the problem with not getting anything interesting well I've sat sat in a few campaigns in um, at local gaming stores and uh, at even at homes where I'm sitting there and week after week, like the same player is getting all these cool items that you like. You can tell custom for his character, and it did. It got me a little annoyed. Uh, not enough that I spoke out or ruined the game of anybody's experience or anything, but to myself, I said, you know, that's not cool and. Maybe I, you know, I'll just let it keep going, and maybe it'll change, or I should leave. One of those two things, and I wound up leaving because, and it wasn't only me; it was another person as well who left because he felt like he was getting the short end of the stick, dying all the time, and not, uh, and he wasn't making stupid moves. It was just like the it was like the DM was out to get him personally in the game, so, mm. which happens a lot. I don't. Unfortunate. I've never run into that, but I also don't play in game stores. It's. Uh, with a few exceptions, I've always played with people I knew. So I, I just haven't run into that, although I, online, the different forums, I hear people talk with stories like that. And If I was in a situation like that, yeah, it would irritate the heck out of me. Well, like I'd I probably w- have a conversation with the DM off to the side. Yeah, that'd probably be the best thing to do. Uh, I, I remember a specific example when I was in high school, we were playing a game, and uh, one of the players would constantly torture another player's character in the game, like lock him in closets, try to do things to kill him, and the DM would be like, oh yeah, it's allowed, oh yeah, it's allowed. It's like, how did he do that? I was like, looking right at him. He was like, oh, you roll, I rolled and you weren't paying attention. He'd do stupid things like that. It was like blatantly obvious mm-hmm. things that he was out to get that other character with this other player, so... Uh, I have experienced that in one of the first campaigns I played in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a solution. I assassinated the uh, tormenting player's character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I almost got punched for that one. Yeah, that, that'll work, and then also gives that whole uh, son of come to revenge. Remember we did that? I don't know if you ever did that as a kid. No, I never did that one. Oh, I can't tell you how many times we did the whole, oh, yeah, well, his son is going to come back and avenge his death, things like that. <laughs> All right, so uh, I think that's going to pretty much wrap things up here on this end, and uh, if you need to uh, 
not if you need to, if you'd like to, and we hope you would need to, get some more information about N Magazine, you want to go to n-mag.com, download issue 10. Uh, what's, in the, uh, what's in the works right now, coming out anytime, anything soon? Or? Uh, we just had two publications. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Book of Low-Level Layers, also by Andrew Hamilton. This guy is super prolific. Mm-hmm. We released that uh, Friday or Saturday. So that's out in the wild. That's 48 pages. I think there's 16 or 18 low-level layers for characters of uh, levels 1 to 4. And the next segment of the Castle Triskelion Mega Dungeon is, is out now. Uh, that should We haven't advertised it yet. That should go out tonight. For anyone who's not familiar, we're, rele- uh, we're releasing the uh, Castle Triskelion Mega Dungeon. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the author, Tim... Uh, he's releasing room by room on his blog, but uh, he's working with us, and we're writing it up in segments by floor, right? And putting them out in PDF format. And we had uh, two uh, two items are going out. One is uh, his first floor, which is actually the first floor above ground level. And what we're doing is new items, monsters, magic items, anything special about the area is going into a new materials volume. And we're going to be releasing, I'm going to just guess about one of those for every three to five levels. And uh, new materials volume one is also out. And these are available on the And Magazine website. Excellent. And in addition to that, we have uh, a couple issues ago, we did a an article on three shops. And one of the things I, I kind of screwed up on the layout is I didn't have room to make the graphics big enough. Uh, Dell, our art director, he did three-dimensional exploded diagrams of all three of the shops, and they just weren't big enough. And this has been bugging me, so Dell and I talked about it. And what we've done is we've re-released the three shops article as an eight-page supplement. And what this has got is on the facing pages, you've got the description of the shop, and on the right-hand page, you've got a full-page graphic of the shop. And we're going to try to get that out in the next day or two. It's it's ready. We just got to get it released. Cool. And after that, uh, issue 11 will be coming out in November. Excellent. All right, so we have to look forward to issue 11. Anything you can give us a sneak peek on? or uh, If not, if you can't, that's fine. Our, our theme for 11 is uh, humanoids. And we've got some new monsters. We've got some new takes on old monsters. We've got probably two, maybe three articles coming from Len Lakofka. Uh, we've got all our usual columns. Uh, there'll be, as everyone who's been listening already can figure out, there's going to be more magic items. Don't know how many yet. Uh, that's pretty much a matter of how much free space we've got, plus a few standalone articles. But uh, there'll be uh, more of everything that we already give people. Excellent. All right, we'll wrap this uh, mini-issue up, number two. I want to thank you, Brian, for coming on the show this week. Glad to be here. Folks, have a good one. And I'm going to say, remember, the uh, you rule the game, not the other way around. Good night, everybody.
The preceding announcement has been paid for by Wild Games Productions.